Good to see you this morning. Please be seated and join me in praying together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you're a good God who is in control of everything in the entire universe. You are the creator, you are the sustainer, you're the planner and designer, and you are the glorious and good and kind. God of your people, and we thank you for all that you are. We thank you that whatever you ordain is right. We thank you that even though the clouds look ominous and powerful, we know that they will break with blessings on our head. We thank you that you have promised to never leave and never forsake those that are yours. These promises we cling to, these promises we hope in. We come to you this morning, we're going to open your word, and we want to hear you speak to us. We, your people, want to know you, we want to know your thoughts, we want to know your plans, and we want to know what you expect of us. We want to know what you expect of us individually for our our individual everyday lives, but we also want to know what you expect of us corporately as a church. We want to honor you with every breath that we have everything that we do and everything that we think. So Lord, so, Lord, enable us, help us. We are desperate to hear from you. We are desperate to learn from you. We are desperate to be changed by you. Teach us. Help us to listen. And help us to not be merely hearers, but to be doers of your word. I pray you'd help us in Jesus' great name. Amen. Well, welcome this morning. If you're a guest with us, we are so glad you're here. We hope you feel welcomed. We hope you feel valued. And we pray that you would be encouraged by God's truth this morning. If you've never been here before, we're about to do something really strange. It may seem strange to you. We're about to read a chunk of Scripture from the Bible. And then I'm going to take, I don't know, about 30 minutes or so and try to explain it help you understand what it means, and help us all understand how to apply it to our lives. You see, we believe that the passage that we're about to read from James chapter 5 is the authoritative Word of God. We believe this is the voice of our God. We desperately want to hear from God. We want to be changed by the power of His Word, and so that's why we're doing this right now. And the reason we're studying this particular passage right now is because we've been studying the book of James, a passage at a time, for about five months now. And so go ahead and navigate to James 5 in in your Bible or on your device that has the Bible on it. And if you don't have a Bible with you, hopefully you can find one of the hardback Bibles in the rack in front of you. If you do grab one of those hardback Bibles, James 5 is on page 1013. 1013. Also, if you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to take that hardback Bible with you today as a gift from us. We would love to provide you your own copy of God's Word. It would be our joy to let you take that home with you today. So let's read James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And as we read, let's listen to God as He speaks to us. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. 
James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the Word of God. May God stamp its truth on our hearts. Well, as we have seen throughout this study of the book of James, the book of James is full of imperatives, that is, commands. There are more imperatives per verse in James than any other New Testament book. In fact, by my count, there are 50 imperatives in these five chapters of the book of James. More than, more than any other book per verse. So James is as practical as they come. And so it's fitting that James would end this letter not with some greetings or travel plans like Paul often does, but James ends with a few more imperatives. And remember that all of these imperatives in the book of James flow from the truth of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We obey these commands from God, not out of our own strength, not for our own glory, but we obey in His strength by the power that He has supplied through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And notice that these final imperatives that James gives have mainly to do with prayer. Every verse from verse 13 to verse 18 mentions prayer. And so prayer is the main topic of this last section of the book of James. And notice that James has a distinctively corporate flair to this final section, this final passage of this letter. Notice James's emphasis on anyone among you. Notice verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Verse 19. My brothers, is, if anyone among you wonders from the truth. So among who? What is the, the group that he's referring to when he says, if anyone among you? Is he talking about an individual's family or peer group or school? No, he's clearly referring to the context of a local church. James expected that these scattered Christians would need to gather and organize themselves into local churches. James assumes that he is speaking to gatherings of Christians like this one and not just individual Christians by themselves. 
right? James could have just said, if you are suffering, if you are sick, but he intentionally makes this corporate. He says, if anyone among you is suffering. Also notice in verse 14, the the exhortation is to call for the elders of the church, the elders of the ecclesia, the elders of the gathering. And so again, the assumption is that these believers have elders over them in the gathering that they are part of. Just a side note here, notice in verse 14 that elders is plural and church is singular. James expected that singular churches, individual local churches, would have a plurality of elders or pastors. The New Testament is clear on this. Individual local churches are to be led by a group of qualified spiritual leaders called elders or pastors or overseers. Also, notice the phrase, one another, mentioned twice in verse 16. This is the reference to the sort of responsibility that we have to one another. Christianity is not an individualistic pursuit. We are to have others to confess our sins to and pray for one another. Here's what James is getting at. The church as a whole needs to see to it that these things are taking place. He says, be sure these things are happening in your gathering. These are commands to the church as a whole. James has the local church in mind as he writes to these scattered Christians who are being scattered because of persecution or whatever reason. So as he concludes this letter, he has this distinctively corporate flair. So this is yet another place in the New Testament that we see the impressive importance of the local church, local gatherings of Christians seeking to follow Jesus together. The local church is vital to our spiritual health. We need the church. And so let's consider what James says to us as a church in this conclusion. I want to study this passage by looking at four commands or four imperatives related to the various situations that we find ourselves in at any given point in the life of the church. Here's what James says. I'm going to give you the four and then we'll look at them one at a time. James says, the suffering among us should pray The cheerful among us should praise. The sick among us should invite prayer and confession. And the wandering among us should be pursued. The suffering should pray. The cheerful should praise. The sick should invite prayer and confession. And the wandering should be pursued. Let's consider each of these four situations and how they apply to us. First, James says, the suffering should pray. The suffering should pray. Just let the simplicity and the wisdom of this encouragement land on you this morning. Look at the first half of verse 13 again. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. Now, James has already addressed suffering in this book. He began the book by saying, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter trials, sufferings of various kinds. But here he gives the most simple and profound response to any suffering that we experience. He says, pray. Whenever you encounter difficulty, 
and pain and brokenness and heartache and sorrow. And James says, take it to the Lord. Remember, Peter says, cast your cares on the Lord because He cares for you. This is essentially what James is saying here. Go to your Father when you suffer. Go to your Father in the midst of difficulty. He's there for you. He knows you. He loves you. Therefore, when you're suffering, pray. Our problem, particularly us guys, is that we're fixers, right? We're fixers. Something is wrong, what is our first inclination? Fix it immediately. Do something. And so, depending on what the suffering is, we research it, we WebMD it, we YouTube it, we phone a friend, we go to the doctor, we get counseling, we pay for a professional, we hit up the Facebook group. And none of these things are wrong. They're just not the first or the main response that we should have when we encounter suffering. Listen, it's not wrong to fix it or to ask someone to help you or to go to a doctor when you're hurting, but it's always wrong to not pray. It's always wrong to not pray. Prayer is the first and the main response we are to have to any trial, to any suffering that we have. Because we have a God who listens. We have a God who's in control of the circumstances of our suffering. And so how evil is it to not turn to Him, the God who's in control, the God who loves us? And let me just say, I don't think James has in mind here a short or a trite prayer in response to to, to suffering. I don't think he's saying that we should just pray for a few minutes and then move on to fix it. I think he's calling us to live in an attitude of prayer. A state of prayer that that remains throughout the suffering. When you're suffering, that's the time to get away from the norm and to spend some days and and weeks in, in prayer. I think we've lost this sort of practice today. Many Christians today have never taken a prayer retreat or taken a day of prayer, but this was something generations before us would regularly practice. If there was something going on, they got away to pray. So James says, stop everything and pray. This is the best and first and main response to suffering in this life. Remember how he started the letter, James 1.5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Because God's the one who's generously giving His wisdom to His people. Spend some time talking to the triune God of creation. The suffering among us, the, the suffering should pray. James says. But secondly, the cheerful should praise. The cheerful should praise. So the second situation that James addresses in verse 13 is that of happiness or cheerfulness. James says the cheerful should sing praise to God. Now, my first inclination when I read this is something like this. Do we really need to be reminded to praise God when things are going well and we find ourselves enjoying life? Is this really some counsel that we need? I mean, shouldn't this be the natural response that we believers have to cheerfulness, to happiness? But when you think about it, I think we need this encouragement more than the first one, right? Because we're pretty quick to turn to God when we are suffering seriously. I mean, sometimes we have no choice but to go to God in our suffering. But it's very easy to forget God when everything is going well. If we're honest with ourselves, 
We tend to forget God when we are happy. We all want to be cheerful. We all want that deep sense of joy in our lives, but we often forget there's a danger to doing well. There's a danger to doing well. And the danger is that we forget God. We forget He's the source of true cheerfulness, that He's the sustainer of it. Remember what James said back in chapter 1, verse 17? He said, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every single good and perfect gift is from our Father. Anything in all of life that could ever bring true cheerfulness to us is from our God. And therefore, cheerfulness should drive us to praise our God. See, what's implied in this command is that God is responsible for the best joys of our lives. And therefore, He is worthy of our praise. It is ultimate idolatry, friends, to enjoy God's good gifts and not praise God. To experience cheerfulness apart from praise to God is sin. To be doing well and not giving God thanks for that is to live in idolatry and rebellion. And notice the command is particularly to sing praise. This is not just a command to internally thank Him, but this is a command to out loud singing. Singing so that others can see and hear you praising God for His good gifts. And this doesn't mean we only sing when we're cheerful. The suffering should sing as well. Music is a precious gift from God for every season of our lives. But the cheerful in particularly should be found singing praise to God for His goodness and kindness and all of His gifts that are blood-bought. All of His good gifts that are purchased for us by King Jesus. So are you cheerful? Are things going particularly well for you right now? Are you finding delight in the labor that God has given you in this season? It's not because you're so great. It's not because you're so resourceful. It's not because of anything you've done. It's a gift from God. And therefore, sing praise to God. Give Him the glory that is due His name. God is worthy of your praising Him. So the suffering should pray. The cheerful among us should sing praise. And third, James says, the sick among us should invite prayer and confession. The sick among us should invite prayer and confession. Now, when we come to the instructions in verses 14 to 16, we encounter all kinds of difficult questions and difficult interpretive possibilities. These verses are filled with teaching that has been misunderstood and abused in the history of the church. And so we must be careful as we come to this section. So let's read it again. Let's just try to unravel some of the questions and mysteries of this passage. Verse 14, James says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, the first question I have is what kind of sickness 
is James referring to here? Is this physical sickness or is this spiritual sickness? Some have argued that James is referring to spiritual sickness here or weakened faith, lack of trust in God that is very serious. And those who argue this view say that, one, James says to call the elders, which makes it seem like there's a spiritual issue because elders are spiritual leaders. Another argument is that verse 15 speaks of the certainty of God raising him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so the people who propose that this is a spiritual sickness say, we can't take verse 15 as an absolute promise for physical healing, but we can take it as a promise for absolute spiritual forgiveness. And although that view is attractive and that it relieves some of the difficulties surrounding this text, I think it's clear based on the whole context of this passage that James is referring to physical sickness or illness here. Just the plain reading of this passage and instruction leads us to believe that this is a reference to physical illness and physical healing. Now, it seems that the nature of the illness that James is referring to here is very serious. This is not just a headache or a a runny nose. The sick person, notice, is so sick that he has to call the elders to come to him to pray for him. Also notice the elders are to pray over him, which could indicate that this is, this is a person who's lying in bed. He's unable to get up. And verse 15 says the healing will be so complete that the Lord will raise him up. So there's a lot in these verses, but don't miss just the plain instruction of this passage. James is instructing us that if you are sick, you should ask the elders of your church to come to you and to pray for you. This implies that you are part of a church that has recognized pastors or elders. This means you can't be a lone ranger Christian. You have to be part of a community of faith in such a way that the pastors know you and are available to pray for you when you are sick. Now listen, I think calling the elders to pray for you is a practical way to show your submission to God. This symbolizes your humility and faith toward God. This symbolizes that you trust God and want to do what He says. Now, what does this anointing with oil mean? Well, there are, there's one other passage in the New Testament that mentions this anointing with oil in connection with healing, and it's in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus sends out His 12 apostles. It says, They proclaimed the gospel, they cast out demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Now, as you can imagine, there are a variety of interpretations of this teaching. However, the two that are most often used to explain the purpose of this oil are the medicinal view and the symbolic view. So some people say this oil was used as medicine in the first century. And that's partly true. They did use oil as medicine. However, oil wasn't thought of as a heal-all for every kind of sickness, for every kind of disease. And so I think it's probably a stretch to say that James is calling, saying, call the elders to administer some medicine to you, to administer some, some oil. In fact, one of your own elders, who I will not mention their name, joked that perhaps the pastors should carry around massage oil and heal everyone by offering deep tissue massages I'm pretty sure that's not what James is teaching here. But rather, I agree with the symbolic view 
that sees this oil as symbolic of something, of setting something apart for God. See, anointing with oil was a way to consecrate something. It was a way to place, place special importance on someone or something for God and for His purposes. And so the elders are setting apart this person for God, for a special healing, for a special miracle. It's a physical action, anointing with oil, that communicates a spiritual reality, similar to laying hands on someone when you pray for them. It's a way to sort of heighten the reality of what's being prayed for. It's a way to, to place special emphasis on it. So, of course, the oil is not magical or powerful in and of itself. There's no power in the oil. This could just be store-bought olive oil. But James says the elders are to anoint the person with oil, notice, in the name of the Lord. That's the key phrase in this text. The name of the Lord, that is the power of the Lord, is what does the healing, not the elder's prayer or the dab of oil. But the oil is there to put focus and emphasis on this prayer of faith. Now, James, is it saying that every time an elder prays for someone, they're to anoint them with oil? Again, this is referring to serious illness, and this is to be done with the invitation and permission of the person who is sick. And so just to say it clearly, your elders love you. Your elders want you to obey God, and we want to obey God, and we want to see you healed. And so if you find yourself seriously sick, call us and invite us to pray for you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. It's part of our role and responsibility and privilege as your shepherds to pray that God would heal you, to set you apart for God's divine work in your life. And notice the strong promise in verse 15. This is, this is amazing. He says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I know my tendency, I know our tendency is to downplay verses like this, but will you just give yourself permission to believe this? Give yourself permission to believe that God can and does heal people of serious illness. Sometimes he does so without any medical intervention. He just does so miraculously and gloriously, and sometimes... The Lord uses medicine and surgery and doctors to do this. The Lord raises up those who are ill. He is not limited in His power in any way. His power is limitless and He can be trusted to heal serious illness. Now we must also declare that God is sovereign and He has a perfect plan and purpose for His children and sometimes those purposes are to not heal of illness or disease. We know this is true from the Bible. And we know God doesn't always heal because everyone dies. Right? It's part of living in a broken and sinful world. And so when we read promises like this, of course we understand we're not the determiner of our health. Like we can't just have elders dab some oil in us every time we get sick and just never die. That's clearly not what the text is teaching. Faithful praying was modeled by our Lord when He said, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. All of our praying must be done according to God's will. This is why so many times Jesus gave these lofty promises for prayer. If you ask anything 
in my name, it will be done for you. He's saying, if you ask it according to my will, if it is my purpose, I will do it. That's what James is saying here. He's saying if God's will to heal this person, he will heal them. God does not heal everyone who asks him to. And the reason is because they lack faith. God heals and doesn't heal according to his sovereign will. But we should ask him in faith. And here he's inviting us to ask him in faith and trust him for the answer that he knows what's best for us. Whatever my God ordains is right. Now, why does James bring sin and forgiveness into this discussion at the end of verse 15? Well, there's an obvious connection between sin and sickness. And now James isn't saying for sure that this person is sick because of their sin. Notice James doesn't know. James says if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Obviously, if the sickness is a result of the person's sin, he will only be healed if he repents. All sickness is from sin in general because of the brokenness of the world. But some sickness is a direct result of our sin. We see this in several other places in the Bible. Most notably, 1 Corinthians 11 in the instructions of the Lord's Supper, right? Some of you are weak and ill because you took the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So in that case, that sin and sickness are directly related, what does James say to do? Verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So notice that the elders aren't the only ones who are to pray for us in sickness and in sin. James says we're to confess our sins to each other and pray for one another. And why are we to pray for one another? James says because the power, the, the, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And in verses 17 and 18, James gives us a, another one of his awesome illustrations where he gives us the illustration of Elijah. He says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. In other words, there there are no super saints. You're not looking for someone who has sort of this gift of of prayer. All Christians are righteous because of Jesus' imputed righteousness. Elijah was a sinner just like you and me. And yet he prayed for no rain. And God answered. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed for rain and God made it rain. James's point, prayer is more powerful than we often realize. We, we often view prayer as a last resort, and James is saying, think about how powerful prayer is. We get busy, we neglect prayer, but James says we do so to our own detriment. If we believe God, if we believe who He is and what He said He'll be, that we will pray because God is powerful and He invites us to tap into His power through prayer. And so when you're sick or when you sin against someone in the church, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another because God loves to forgive sin and God loves to show his power. James says the sick should invite prayer and confession. But he gives us a fourth instruction. Number four is this. The wandering among us should be pursued. The wandering among us should be pursued. And so look what James says in these final two verses. He says, my brothers... If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, these last two verses are a fitting conclusion to the book of James. 
Because, you know, one of the main themes of the book of James is that we be doers of God's word and not merely hearers. And so James says here at the end, not only are we to be doers of God's word and not merely hearers, but we are to be concerned that others are doers of God's word. We're to be concerned that others also obey God's word. In other words, we are responsible for each other. We are responsible for each other's faith and joy and commitment to the Lord. So these verses assume that people will indeed wander away from the truth and they will wander away from their church family. This is a sad reality. And we all know people right now who fit into this category, who are wandering away. And James doesn't address the person who's wandering. James doesn't say, if you're wandering away, come on back. No, James addresses the church family. And what does James say we are to do when this happens? We are to pursue them. We aren't to just let them walk away without pleading with them to come back to the safety of the covenant community. Bringing someone back to church and to the church family allows them to have access to all the benefits and blessings of God's truth being proclaimed and having the church family hold them accountable to follow Jesus. And when we pursue the wandering to bring them back, James says we save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The reason this is true is because someone who wanders away ultimately from Jesus, who is himself the truth, they prove that they never really were embracing the truth, no matter what they say. They went out from us because they were never one of us. And so when we bring back a sinner, we save their soul from death, and we cover a multitude of sins. And so James says, exercise a careful watchfulness over one another. Exercise a a careful watchfulness over each other in the local church. In fact, this is what we promise in our church covenant together. Our church covenant says we invite one another to confront us when we are not following Jesus, when we are walking out of step with God's word. Do you want to be a part of a family like that? A church that will pursue you when you're not following Jesus? A church that will pursue you when you begin to believe heretical things? The emphasis here is not on those who wonder, notice, but on those who have the responsibility to pursue. Who is God calling you to pursue? Think about who you haven't seen in church or in your community group, in your Sunday school class for some time? Who do you need to bring back into the fold? Them wandering away is not just a small issue. Ultimately, if they wander away and neglect their faith in Jesus, they will be held accountable and responsible, and so will we. This is all of our responsibility in the local church. And this this command will be held accountable to as well. And so church family, there's a lot of instruction for us in this last passage, more than we've had time now to explain, but this passage speaks to us about the importance of the local church, the importance of spiritual leaders, and the importance of prayer. But ultimately, this passage and this whole book of James calls us, all of us, to not wander away from the truth in Jesus. There's a real danger for you and I to walk away from Jesus when things get hard or we have relationship problems in the church. Or, as James says here, when we're doing so well, we just forget about the truth. We just forget about God. 
But James says, don't do it. Don't wander away. Don't give up. Don't abandon the Lord Jesus. Don't wander away from Him. But rather, by grace, cling tightly to the truth that's in Jesus. Only Jesus can rescue our soul from death. Only Jesus can cover the multitude of our sins by His precious blood. And so let's all trust in Jesus now and commit ourselves to obeying Him. Oh Lord, we pause here at the end of this study of the book of James. And we pray that You would indeed make us doers of Your Word and not merely hearers. I pray that we would not be like the man who looks at his face in a mirror and forgets what he looks like, who walks away from Your truth. But Lord, I pray we would be serious Christians, seriously joyful Christians, who take our faith seriously and who find great delight and joy in obeying You and running in the path of Your commands. God, teach us to obey You with joy. Teach us to sacrifice everything we are and everything we have to do what You call us to do. Lord, I pray that You would help us to apply these passages, these, these truths to our lives, not just today, but for the rest of our lives. Thank You for Your promises. Thank You that You will hold us fast. So Lord, we cling to You, but we're thankful that what matters is You're clinging to us. Help us to delight. Help us to find joy now. We pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen.